And welcome back to a fresh episode of Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't yet, check out our weekly email where we share useful podcasts, actionable marketing tips, guides, bonus resources, and much more every Monday to start your week off with a bang. You can sign up over at businessgrowth.email. So joining me today, we've got Chris Walker. Chris is the founder and CEO over at Refine Labs, and he's also the host of the State of Demand Gen podcast. Chris, welcome to the show, mate. How's it going? Hey, Sam. Really good to be here. And uh, well, yeah, looking forward to sharing some ideas with your uh, the community. No worries, man. So we're going to be talking about a fresh topic. We're going to be chatting all things dark social and how you can utilize it to grow your company's bottom line, grow their sales, grow their revenue. So first and foremost, Chris, I know it's something you talk a lot about on your podcast, on your live sessions. For anyone that doesn't know, what does dark social really mean, sir? Yeah, and I think it's interesting as we continue to evolve and expand the concept to continue to share as we get new data and new questions from people to share more of the information that we're learning. This is a topic that is relatively new. It's a it's a concept that had been first mentioned in two, around 2013 or 14, which referenced when people would take content from uh, Facebook and send it in a message to somebody else where you couldn't track. And with the evolution of the internet from 2014 to now, there's been a major change in how, how it actually works, which is that through the scale and the maturity of the internet, B2B buyers are now researching, discovering, and purchasing and evaluating products in places where companies can't track. Those are communities, social networks, content platforms like a Spotify or an Apple or a Apple podcast or a YouTube, third-party events um, right. that would happen with like a VC or PE firm. All of these places where the key is that five or seven years ago, there were not the connection points for B2B buyers to interact with their peers, peers that they trust like they can now because they didn't have access to their peers in 2014 they got information to make buying decisions in specific places. Those places were Google search, vendor sales reps or websites, analyst firms like Gartner or technology vendors or, or things like that. And now because of the way that they have access to peers, which has accelerated since the pandemic in 2020 forward, now these people that are 40 or 50 year old business professionals that used to not listen to podcasts every week, that used to not use LinkedIn every day, that used to not go to meetups or community events that happen on a weekly basis, now do all of those things. And then because they do them, they get information from specific places that they trust more than the places where they used to get information. And so the key is where B2B buyers get information that they use to make purchasing decisions has shifted and B2B companies go to market strategies have not adjusted to this reality. Yeah. So would you say that dark social is uh, a more technical, more detailed term for word of mouth marketing, or is there a lot of more to it than that? So it depends on how you look at word of mouth marketing, right? Um, sure. So I think a lot of people, when they think about word of mouth marketing, really constrain it to only thinking about somebody referring, saying, hey, go buy this thing now. Yeah. Um, and when you actually think about word of mouth and the scale of the internet, there's way more to it now than there was in 1950, where if you had a mailbox that you liked, you told your neighbor about it. Now, if you have a mailbox that you like or whatever, a B2B product that you like, you can tell thousands of people at scale all the time. 
And so, and it's not like, Hey, go and buy that right now. It's, Hey, I'm sharing this. Here's a picture. I got this mailbox. or I got this new software tool. I'm liking it. So the, the scale has changed completely through the internet. And it's not only about referring products. It's about sharing ideas, consuming content, learning, um, places that people used to go to blogs to learn stuff in 2014. Now they get those things. They don't go to websites anymore. They get that access inside of social networks through the content and companies that have not transitioned their content strategy out of search to social dark social. That is, um, are, I think are, are leaving a lot of upside on the table. Yeah. yeah. And how does, how does dark social tend to begin so for a company that's thinking that's perhaps tuning in and thinking well, this sounds quite interesting perhaps not something i know a great deal about right now how is it something that businesses can get stuck into what should be almost i guess a playbook that they can adapt if it's something that they want to utilize at their company yeah i um the way to look at this is that pretty much all B2B companies are sales companies, not marketing companies. And even if they have a marketing department, that marketing department is mainly helping their sales team do sales or running lead gen, which is basically pre-sales. Right. Um, and so because of that, they do certain activities, they measure marketing in a certain way, and they spend money in certain places because of the channels and the goals. And so when you see that most companies spend money in lower funnel channels to run lead gen, to capture email addresses, to report back on certain things. And so they're waiting for people to go to review sites. They're waiting for people to search. I want to buy your software in Google. They're waiting for people to come to your website. They're waiting to get intent data to go and do cold calling or outbound. And what they're waiting for is that they're waiting for a very small part of the market to enter a buying cycle. And then when they enter a buying cycle, they are not, they are brand agnostic. And then your brand is going to fight against five or six other competitors or whatever is in the space in order to win that business. And at some point, somebody in your category will eventually realize that dark social is how B2B buying decisions get made. They will leapfrog all of you. They'll win in dark social. People won't even go to those places anymore because they'll already be decided and they will buy your stuff. And so that's why my business is growing so quickly. It's why some of the companies that we work with are seeing massive gains over doing this for a long period of time is because the way that companies market right now is running is mainly marketing to a very small portion of the market that's in a buying cycle because they think about everything like sales. And if they shifted it and they actually started to do real marketing and real marketing is so the market understands what you do and has affinity to your company so that when they realize they need something like you, they choose you instead of evaluating a bunch of other competitors, that's marketing that if companies started to really think about marketing differently, they would win a lot more customers and they would get more people to actually buy buy into the category overall. Yeah. Okay. So when when we talk inbound marketing, um, I guess a few things that come to my mind being a web and SEO agency co-owner, I'm thinking SEO, I'm thinking paid ads, but perhaps I'm also so literally someone searching for your product or service on Google Perhaps, like you say, stumbling across maybe a review site or maybe stumbling across your website if you're positioned there with Google Ads or perhaps you're positioned through SEO, doing organic search, SEO work yourself or with an agency. Um, and then perhaps you've got other ways of running demand generation. Perhaps you're doing different forms of driving people to your site, building up some kind of demand, whether it is social or other ways to kind of build up brand recognition. Um, but how do these... 
How do these strategies, so you, you mentioned there, building up brand affinity. So like you say, quite rightly, if someone, if I'm searching for a product or service or if, if another company is doing the same, if they're going to Google, they're probably already quite quite far down in that cycle. They realize that they actually need ha- the help of the service. Let's say it's a software product and they're probably comparing two to three agencies before they decide and make the decision. Um, how can we, let's say, how can we beat that rat race? And how can we position ourselves as the as the choice rather than having to almost tender for the work when we're fighting against two or three, maybe more companies? Yeah. So if you break this into two separate things, which is creating demand and then capturing demand and you audit your marketing activities, what you realize is that a majority of what you spend your money on, a majority of where you focus is on capturing demand, which is a small amount of the market that has intent that's looking to buy stuff, which is more so in sales. And so what I'm suggesting here is that companies create another layer to their marketing or go-to-market strategy where you are marketing to people that do are not in a buying cycle right now with the objective of over time moving more people into buying cycles for your category and your stuff. And when they, if you're moving, work through that education cycle over time where somebody is not aware of the problem that your product or your category solves, and you work them through that over a three or six month period of time, and as they get information, they start to share it in their company Slack channels. They start to bring up the ideas and information in their company meetings. They start to look in communities. And then now, now that they're aware of you, they start to see other people talking about how they use your product inside of communities or Slack channels or things like that. They then call a couple of CMOs or whatever title they are, their peers, and they do Zoom meetings or text messages of people that they trust and say, hey, what's your experience been with this? And then all of a sudden, six months later, those people no longer go to Google and review sites and say, hey, which company am I going to buy? And they just go straight to Google, type in your brand, convert, and they only consider you as the vendor because you position yourself as the only choice. And so the problem with most categories in B2B marketing right now is that there are three to seven or more core players in each category. And to a average buyer, it's a complete commodity. They don't know anything about the differences in the product. The messaging is generally about the same. The And when they get there, it's like there there is you be, you are positioned from the buyer as a commodity, as opposed to if you win earlier when your competitors don't, you get positioned as unique, special, differentiated. Um, and so this is a layer of marketing that requires new measurement. The reason that marketers don't do this inside of their companies is because of how marketing is scored and how attribution works in their companies, which is prim- primarily based on software. Um, and when you use software, you can't, it's called dark social for a reason. Software does not accurately measure it and it does not create intent data. Therefore, you are not going to have a perfect way to measure it using software. There are ways to measure it. There are definitely ways to measure it. It's just not with software. And so I'm encouraging companies to think differently about how they weight attribution and look at other ways. Because as buyers continue to move to these places using more and privacy policies are not going backwards, that as they continue to move here, if you don't change how you measure marketing, you're basically keeping your marketers stuck in the past. Yeah. So you mentioned something interesting there just now, Chris, positioning your business or company as the only choice. So... That's probably music to most people's ears. Is they're thinking, oh, I don't have to battle to win deals. I don't have to compare against three or four other companies. When when inbound comes in, they're they're going straight to us because they believe that we can do the job, and they're almost ready to to convert and get get the project started at that stage. What are some best practices? And feel free to use your own examples of how you've done it yourself, or for companies, or 
people that you've helped for actually making that happen because it's not a, a quick thing right we can't just do a couple posts on linkedin or do a few youtube videos a few podcasts and then job done our brand affinity is built the inbound leads are flowing they're fully qualified and they're ready to talk to sales yeah so what people see on the outside is the marketing coming to life that they actually see but what they don't see underneath the whole iceberg is the strategy that drives this. And so, and a lot of companies don't think about it this way, but in order to build a truly unique differentiated solution, you need to do proper segmentation. You need to be able to segment your customers deeply, which then will drive product strategy. So as you segment further, your product can be more narrow, more specific, which will then drive your messaging and positioning strategy. So then you'll be able to, with a seg segmented audience with a diff with a differentiated clear product for that audience that other people are either underserving or not serving then you drive messaging on your website then you go and create content for dark social which is what people see as you educate that specific group about the specific things that they need to know in order to be ready to consider or have affinity to to consider your product and so because companies think it's just about putting out some content that's where the miss is um, there's actually multiple layers before you start thinking about content that creates a differentiation. To be clear, these can be happening in parallel in real time, right? I'm not like a theorist here and I understand practicality, which is that you need to go out and get revenue right now. And you also need to start to position yourself, which is what we've done at my business, right? Our messaging continues to evolve. We do a major refresh about every six months as we continue to learn and as we continue to refresh our product and refine our ICP. And so while most companies, as they grow, their ICP gets broader, sorry about that, as, the, as their, their ICP gets broader, let's try and sell to more people, more segments, more stuff, we've actually gotten more narrow, right? less segments, more specific, because it's very clear the types of people and the types of companies that are ready for what we're doing. Um, and we're in a recurring revenue model business, like just like most people that are listening to this show, probably, or most people that listen to my podcast, at least. And when you're in a recurring revenue model business, like have a company with the right mindset that's going to be there for a long time and have a high lifetime value is all, all about what it is. So that's what we focus on. Got it. So let's get a bit actionable here and let's break down some of those points you've just mentioned about segmenting audience, make sure your website can convert and then actually producing content that's going to build up that brand affinity, make people believe that you are the choice to, to go with to, to help them ultimately get the results they desire. Before you look at perhaps a dark social demand gen strategy, what are some things that you should ultimately have in place first of all? So let's let's give a perhaps scenario here. Perhaps we're a B2B SaaS company, perhaps we're a software co, and maybe we've maybe we've up to now we've kind of leveraged our network, we've leveraged our friends, our contacts. Perhaps we've let's say we've got maybe we've got 50k monthly recurring revenue just from that, and we're kind of looking to ramp up to do our first million um, in sales. And we've heard of dark social. We think, yeah, let's let's give this a go. We want to ramp up a demand gen strategy. But before we go all guns blazing, what are some things that we should have as our core marketing strategy so we can start inbound leads flowing before we go all into this? So I think uh, with companies at the stage in the scenario that you pointed out, which is 50K MRR, which is less than a million dollars in revenue, they probably have somewhere between 10 and 30 people, depending on how much money they've raised. What they think they need at this stage is a growth marketer to help them do lead gen for their 12 sales reps that don't have enough demand and they're starving. So like they've overhired sales reps and they think they need one marketer to come and save the day on lead gen, which is what most of these companies at that stage do. 
What you really need at this stage is a strategist. You need a marketing strategist that can understand all parts of the of the journey, the go-to-market strategy, the uh, segmentation and positioning, pricing and distribution, um, product roadmap, and things like that. You need somebody that can go out and understand customers, put together a strategy, and drive the organization forward. And I've just found in my experience that a lot of CEOs are not capable of doing that. There are some, um, but in my experience, not, not enough. And I think that you need to consider having that person in before you go and run lead gen and things like that. And what that person's going to do first is they're going to look at business data. They're going to segment your customers, going to understand who's paying you, who's churning, why is that happening? Who are staying for the longest? Who are the happiest? What is the leading metric of retention? They're going to look at business data, understand that they're going to slice and dice customers using firmographic data that they can find or other obvious slices. Then they're going to go out and talk to those segments of customers and on both people that pay you and people that could pay you, but don't right now. So customers, the market, they're going to talk to both of those groups and they're going to start to understand how do these people use the product? Where is the actual value? Which segments are ones that we want to continue to focus on? Which are the ones where we're highly differentiated and why, where there's no other solutions. And then they're going to come back and say, I know that we're going after these seven segments, but six, three of them are using it because of our network. And they would churn if they weren't friends with our investors Two of them, they said that they don't really use the product. And then the other two were like, "These, this is really working for me. But there was one of them was like, there's no other option for me. And this is a major business problem. And so out of all these seven, I'm suggesting that while we're 50K MRR, that we consider slicing this down to only focus on this one. Good. And when we only focus on this one, guess what happens after that? One. They ju- we just talked to people that don't pay us and people that pay us. And they all said that there is a major need for this. There's a clear economic and emotional value proposition. And there's no alternative to solving this except for using spreadsheets. So there's a clear opportunity here. If we focus on that, what's happening right now is because we're focusing on all seven, the messaging of the product is too wide and not specific to them. So they don't even know that we're trying to, that we're, we're right for them. So we're going to segment down and only focus on them. At the same time, then we're going to start to revamp the messaging and positioning. We're going to redo that on the website. And then we're going to start to build the product roadmap around that group. When we build the product roadmap around that group, we start to build a much different product because of how specific we've gotten in segmentation. Then you have a defined segment that you're going after. You have a new website with specific messaging. You have a product roadmap that's going. You can then start to direct your enablement and your sales team going in the right direction to a place where they have a high probability of winning what I call an unfair competitive advantage. We've done market research and we understand that in this segment, we have an unfair competitive advantage to win for X, Y, and Z reasons. The sales team is going to win more just by having the focus on that where, where message has been validated. And then after all that work has been done, which is a three to six month project, then we're going to think about how are we going to actually build content and communication to get to exactly these people, to educate them over time in the places that they like. What is the content going to be about? What do they care about? Who are the influencers that they listen to? What are the channels that they consume content on? Like, where do they go in order to make buying decisions? Where do they get that information? And as you start to piece that together, then you put together the content strategy that matches that exact audience with your new messaging and new product. And that is what a uh, that is probably the most valuable thing, the most valuable activity that a you know sub one million ARR company could do. Frankly, a sub thirty million ARR company could do probably too. Is to really think about that because I work with hundreds of businesses and 
very few of them do that and segment that way. Do you think that's something that's often neglected, actually talking to perhaps your best customers right now and understanding what's what's most important to them? Perhaps the, the problem, are we talking about, get, on a side note, probably talking about getting getting deep on the, the problems they come to you with? Are we talking about understanding? Yeah. yeah, I think it's like a, I think it's a lack of, a lack of curiosity, a lack of training and understanding in order how to ask questions and then interpret the answers. Like I'm say, I say things to see how people will react when I'm on a live event and I say something and I see 30 people in, in, on the zoom up here, like nodding their heads or doing something like that. I know that something was working right there. If I'm one-on-one with some, someone and I make a statement and they re- react a certain way, I don't care what they say. I felt the reaction. I've sat inside of sales calls live with people and I've watched a sales per- person make a pitch and I've watched the two people that they're pitching to. And I just see the nonverbal cues that they provide, which give me insights as to what's working, what's not and why. So there's a huge element of this about having the understanding and the curiosity of what is this person actually trying to say to me, not trying to take it directly, because if you get it directly, customers are going to tell you, I want better, faster, stronger. And so it's really understanding what are the question tracks? What am I trying to dive into? How do I use my intuition to understand what these people actually need? Um, and some of the stuff you get easy, they'll tell you straight away. But it's part of it is diving deep to understand it. And then once you understand it, making a declarative statement that they come back and, and say affirmative, yes, like that is correct about me. You went through and we're like, I'm using it for, for these couple of use cases. And then I I talk through what are the alternatives and they're like, I could do this or this or this. And so based on what you've told me, like out of these things, this might be the best solution. What do you think? And you can get to a track where you start to understand what are these people actually trying to say? But I think the key here is a lot of people have happy ears when they do this. A lot of people are not, uh, are coming from the wrong position. So they're not looking at things strategically long-term. They're thinking about how do I get this customer to buy from me right now? So they hear the wrong things. They interpret the data wrong. They ask the wrong questions because they're focused on closing a customer and not learning and building a strategy. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's easy to get happy as, right? It's easy to see what perhaps, especially in the B2B software as a service industry, to see perhaps what your competitors are doing, maybe copy their messaging on their website, copy their call to actions, run the or same kind whatever. of ads they do um, and just do everything the same, but stick your logo, stick your brand colors on it. So that that's always the quicker way. Um, but like you say, it's not until you you actually speak to to some of your customers to really understand what what makes them tick, what they really care about, what's going on right now. Um, but we won't dive too much into that because we've we've got a bit of a strict timeline. With sixty to seventy percent of their inbound demo requests never making it to a book meeting, Brian Schuler. ABM and Marketing's Operation Manager at SAS Optics knew a change was needed. Their inbound scheduling process required sales development reps to go back and forth with prospects to qualify and schedule a meeting before they ever spoke to an account executive. Brian implemented Chili Piper's concierge solution, allowing inbound prospects to book a meeting time in the correct account exec's calendar immediately after filling in a demo request form. Behind the scenes, Chili Piper qualified the lead, routed it to the correct account exec, and booked the meeting in their calendar. Since implementing Chili Piper, they've seen a booked rate on inbound demo requests increase from 40% to 90%, meaning four times more sales meetings and double the amount of inbound pipeline per month. 
Book your free customized demo today at chilipiper.com. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I-P-E-R.com. Charles runs a software company. He gets a decent amount of leads through his website, through paid ads. But when it comes to the organic, non-paid listings on Google, his competitors are stealing his visibility, traffic, and customers. All because they rank higher than him on organic search with SEO, search engine optimization. He set up a call with WebChoice. They took the time to understand his business, goals, and plans, and crafted a long-term strategy to rank higher on Google. After a few months of working with WebChoice, Charles was above the competition and enjoying more organic leads than ever, and was even able to reduce his ad spend from the uptick in organic inbound leads. Want to enjoy more inbound sales leads with SEO? Book a free consultation today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Let's say we've done that research. Before we start trying to educate, perhaps we've segmented, thought about the audience we really want to drill down to and target and get in front of before we um, start looking at putting out content, distributing it. Do you think that if we're carrying on the scenario that we're kind of perhaps at 50K a month and we want to ramp things up to get towards a million plus, do you think we should look to capture existing demand? So should we do what we talked about earlier? Should we, Would you recommend running SEO, running Google Ads so we can capture demand that's there, even though we'll be competing against, say, a few other agencies, but at least that way we can feed our sales team leads before we start putting out this content and educating our audience? Or should we be doing all of that all in one hit? I think it depends on the capitalization of the company, the growth ambitions, really where you are, um, and what resources that you have in order to get things done. And so like me personally at my company, we spent not a minute on SEO. We don't buy Google ads. What we focused on was putting out dark social content in places that have clear attention and scale. And we've been dedicated to making being the best on the channels that work the best right now. And so a lot of companies would rather try and, and be okay or mediocre at the channels that worked the best seven years ago, which is what a lot of companies do in SEO. And because of the shift that we talked about, about how buyers get information, buyers trust what their peers say on LinkedIn or in a community or at an event with their PE firm way fucking more than they do about what they read on a blog from your company that they find in Google. And until you acknowledge that difference about where people get information and what they trust, it might change how you think about your strategy. So for us, like we spent zero time on SEO. It's been 100% focused on dark social paving the way because I would much rather be moving forward about where buyers are going and be with them than be way behind working on things. And that's just generally what's go, what happens with B2B is because the ch- some channel emerges. It takes three years for a company to say, hey, this is something that's real. It takes two more years for Gartner and those companies to say, hey, this is how you should measure that channel. And then by the time companies start executing, the opportunity is over, it's flooded, it's expensive and mature, and buyers have already moved to the next thing. And so because of, again, how companies measure and how they get it, where they get information to drive strategy, lead them to doing things that are not current with what buyers do right now. Why not do both? Like in your case, for example... Couldn't your sure. route to revenue have been a lot higher? I appreciate that, like in my example, let's, let's use me as an example, perhaps we generate 
I don't know, well clear of six figures a year just through the content I put out on LinkedIn alone. Um, just because I literally ramble on about SEO and websites every day, share tips, share stories, um, much like you do on, on Demand Gen and Dark Social. And every now, every week, we'll get a few inbound through that. As well as that, we'll look to capture existing demand. So if people are searching for SEO web services, we'll be on Google Ads, we'll be on the review sites, but we'll also be on SEO. So wouldn't be doing, whilst I completely agree, if you are capturing existing demand, you're always going to be competing, nearly always going to be competing against other companies. Um, and you won't have that brand affinity, at least most of the time, if people are vendor neutral. But wouldn't it make sense to go full full steam at both, providing you've got the resources and you're not swamping kind of your marketing team or whoever's going to be putting out the content and running running the ads and running the SEO? Yeah, I think provided that you have the resources, that might make sense to me. Um, but one of the things that we've done is that we put a how did you hear about us on our form where people will convert and say, hey, I want to talk to your sales team about using you right now. And then you get the data of what attribution software says that they came from, whether that's HubSpot or Visible or any other tools. It doesn't matter what tool. They all have the same limitations. You have that tool and you get what your customer said about where they heard about you initially. And when you have that data, which most companies don't have, the trend that we've seen that I bet if companies did this on their own, they might get a similar trend is that every time a buyer comes in and says, I, and they declare, I found you in SEO, they are the worst fit customers and they never become customers. They're not qualified or different things like that. And so depending on what you sell, I think that you could get some, in, like if you have a small, narrow niche, um, like buying Google ads or optimizing search for my company for marketing agency or even SaaS marketing agency is really not a good move. Um, and so those are some of the experiences for me, but I'd encourage every pe everyone to test. And I would definitely encourage people to put that on their form. How did you hear about us? Because you will see clear patterns about what buyer, where buyers say that they found you versus whether or not they become pipeline or revenue. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd certainly agree with the form side of things. And also asking people on sales calls, because like you said, sometimes people are even put on those inquiry forms, like it was Google ad or it was organic search or it was LinkedIn. And then when you actually speak to them on the phone, they might say, well, I found you on LinkedIn. Then I did a Google search then I looked at a podcast and I spoke to my friend and he recommended you. Then I spoke to my network. So the, mm -hmm. the buyer's journey is often a very fickle one, as you say. So it's, it's quite interesting when you actually chat to, chat to prospects, chat to buyers about how they yeah. stumble across you. And it's just a balance between how many resources do you have and how do you deploy those resources most efficiently to build both short-term and long-term growth. And my belief right now is that the resources that companies spend to do certain things that are capturing demand would be much better spent taking that $50,000 a month that they pay for an agency, six in-house content writers to write blogs, a graphic design firm to do stuff, a little bit of ads to push it in social or, and a little bit of ads to promote it in Google ads. They took all those resources and money and they took that and put together a podcast or they put together a live event that happens once a week that people love, or they hired people to, to be subject matter experts and build a community, whatever. But I just think if you, if it comes down to it, with a company com we're, we're talking about is 50 K a month. So resources are limited. How are you going to use those resources in the most efficient way to drive growth? Yeah. yeah. And that makes sense. So on the content front, if we let's say we've put together our audience that we want to attack we want to target we want to start having buying conversations qualified buying conversations with 
What um, best practices that you've utilized or customers have utilized, Chris, to actually make sure that we're educating them, we're helping them, we're positioning our company as kind of the authority in our sector, but we're actually providing content that's not just ramming our product or service down their neck, but is saying, look, we're here to help. This is hinting at that this is what we can do. And at the same time, realizing that this is not a click your fingers overnight job. This is something that in several months we'll start getting inbound qualified opportunities for. I'm smiling for the people that are, are listening afterwards. I love this question because there is no hiding when you're operating in a dark social strategy. You can't hide behind website traffic visits or number of searches or attribution or things like that. It's clear and you know whether or not the stuff is resonating or working because of how people respond. And so the be- the best way that I found for people to do this is put on an event every week for a year and measure how many times people come back. Measure how many repeat attendees you you have in there and you'll and that people will tell you based on their attendance whether or not it was valuable. And so those are some interesting ways for people to look at how am I actually making an impact here? Like we've had people, we're going to do episode 100 of my live show. We've been doing it every Tuesday for almost two years tonight. And there are people that were on episode one that are still going to be there for every, almost every episode until episode 100 and have gotten multiple promotions or started a new job or done a different career move or whatever they did since then. And so because we provided professional value that continues to move them forward, they continue to come. If you put out content and people engage with it and like it and it continues to grow, then again, you're getting signals that people like it and, cons- and consume it. So there, when if you're putting stuff out and nobody's liking it, it's not LinkedIn's fault. It's not TikTok's fault. It's it's your the content that you're building and the strategy is not there. Um, and so that's how that's the reason that I like it. It requires companies to stop hiding behind qual- quantitative metrics and actually look at what people actually say. What comments do they leave? How often do they engage? What do they? What questions do they ask when they're on the event? These, how do they react when you say things? How many times do they come back every month? These are the things, the human characteristics that are necessary and required in order to win in dark social, which is different than everything that B2B companies have done before. Yep. So we're talking about actually getting live feedback from let's say if we're if we're using LinkedIn as a channel to put out the content, perhaps people are asking questions that are relevant to it, perhaps they're engaging with it, perhaps they're liking the content, perhaps they're going the direct messages and saying, look, I found this really useful. What are your thoughts on this? Um, is that what we're talking about? Totally, yeah. Gotcha. And is this all organic, Chris? So is this just a case of putting out posts in your experience on LinkedIn or starting our own podcast? or whether it's TikTok um, or whatever channel we we realize that our customers are hanging out on, how much of this is organic? How much should be a paid strategy to actually distribute the content in front of more potential buyers? And obviously, you can use channels like LinkedIn where you can really segment and drill down on a target audience, or can it purely work from an organic, non-paid perspective? Yeah, I, th- I think the answer for most companies listening to this podcast is both. Um, and the details of how you think about both of these could be almost exactly the same. The only difference is whether you're paying to guarantee distribution to exactly who you want or whether you're using organic, which is free, but you can't guarantee it to exactly who you want. 
And so I think that it makes sense for companies to be doing both, to have an organic strategy that they're putting out content, that they're trying to grow an audience, that they're that people are sharing, engaging, the audience is growing, and you're getting traction and growth there. And you have a paid strategy that you put forward that's going after exactly your target accounts, decision makers and influencers of those target accounts with content, not DMs where you offer somebody a gift card to sit on a demo, not sending a DM saying, hey, I, we just automated spam saying, hey, we just got uh, we just got connected. Do you want to have a meeting about buying this stuff? These Because of the mindset that companies bring to paid, they drive, it's just, it's sales. Um, and so when we're in dark social and social networks, using advertising, I'd encourage companies to think about doing marketing not and, and leaning less towards sales. And then the places to lean towards sales are things like SEO or search generally, paid or organic search, um, review sites. When they're actually on your website, when you have intent data, that's when you start to do sales. Um, but that, yeah, so that, that would be the difference for me. Got it. Got it. And that, that was a funny one. That, quite a lot of businesses right now are doing um, $100 gift cards, $50 gift cards. Book a demo with us. Get some free, free AirPods. It was crazy. Like... I, was, I was scrolling through my LinkedIn feed a couple of days ago. I have a video of it. I'm going to post it at some point. I was scrolling yeah. through the LinkedIn feed and four ads in a row looked exactly the same from four different companies said $100 gift card for to, to sit on a demo. And it's just like bribing people. If you're a marketer or a business and you have a good product, why do you need to do this stuff? Like all you need to do is be able to communicate to people the things that the benefits and the the problems and actually create demand, actually do marketing, not gimmicks, which then have people educated and actually want to buy stuff instead of sitting on your demo to hit metrics to get their gift card and then never buy stuff. And all you're doing is wasting your sales team's time. I was going to say, I'd be interested to know the companies that are running that, what is the actual percentage of those demos that are converting to closed deals? Yeah, Yeah, uh, we are close to having enough data to pull this, um, but uh, it's not great is is what I've I've seen, but we need a larger sample size before I make any statements like that. Got it. Yeah, that, that doesn't shock me too much. So quick one, Chris, on content before we kind of wrap this up with how we can other ways we can attribute this to revenue um what are some best practices that you found so you're putting out content much most days on linkedin i know you're running the the live podcast once a week and doing other bits and pieces too what have you found is a good way to make sure that what you put out whether that is on linkedin whether that's a podcast whether that's another channel that you've worked out that your customers are actually actively using on so you can get in front of them to make sure that what you're putting, whether that's video, text content, is actually going to resonate with them and is actually going to educate them or provide them something of use. So over time, you're positioned as the the go-to expert in your sector. Because I listen to how they respond. It's not, it's, it's, this is not complicated. Like I said, do a bunch of market research, create a community where you're putting out information and people are giving you clear, immediate feedback about whether it's resonating or not, what questions they have, things like that. And then I listen to what questions people have, what things aren't clear, where they have objections and different things like that. And then that drives my future strategy. People think that it's done. I post and then it's done. All I'm going to do is just push it out. And what they actually need to be thinking about is pushing it out is where it starts then I'm going to be engaging. I'm going to be listening. I'm going to be having conversations. I'm going to be reading DMs. 
and we're seeing how people react. And that's where you get the insights and the feedback to say, hey, I didn't explain this topic well. I need to change how I do that. This thing really worked. We should keep going in that track. Let's go and find somebody that's an expert in that thing. We can have them in our podcast. We're going to keep driving home that topic. The listening is where people miss out because they think that they're too, their time is, especially with executives, oh, my time's too valuable to do LinkedIn. And it's like, I literally have conversations with thousands of buyers at scale. How is that not the most valuable thing that you could do as an executive? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Link, LinkedIn's a funny one. I mean, like you say, so many people have proven to that it, if you're consistent with it, if you can actually put out copy that or post, whether it's video, whether it's text content, whatever, that's actually going to resonate with potential buyers that over time it's going to build that trust, it's going to build that reputation, it's going to build those inbound um, qualified leads, whether they're coming through your website, whether they're coming through the DMs. But still trying to get buy-in is hard work, even after you've proven to, whether it's your C-suite, whether it's your colleagues, I've never found it easy to, to get that buy-in. Have you have you found any ways, Chris? Perhaps right now it's very simple. It's because most companies don't think about anything like marketing. They only think about it like sales. And what we're talking about here is marketing. The way that I found to get over this, which is really interesting, is that I all I do is I do marketing and then the people that are attracted to what I'm saying self-select and then come and work with us. And so I let the instead of instead of going outbound and trying to convince people that don't know any of these concepts in order to try and convince them to learn all of them, which is hard. All I do is put out the information and then wait for people to self-select and come and work with us, which leads to short sales cycles, long customer lifetime values, good alignment with our team. Well, you know, a lot of good metrics there. Yep. So we talked about earlier adding a, how did you hear about us? Inquiry form field to your contact form, to your calendars, however you get your demo request, your consultation request, whatever your main call to action is on your website to drive people into your sales funnel. What other ways have you found to attribute dark social to sales revenue when a lot of CEOs, a lot of marketing leaders are going to say, look, we want X amount of leads coming in. I don't want to do dark social now because we need X amount of leads to feed our sales team this quarter. And I'm really not convinced that if our team start doing this, it's actually going to drive the the sales or the, the revenue we need for the, the quarter ahead. What are some of the, what would be your, your response to that? If you want a bunch of leads that have low intent to buy and usually don't close to quote unquote feed your SDRs, aka you've overhired salespeople and now you need to do something to keep them busy. So you put marketing responsible for driving low productivity leads into your sales team to keep them busy. Like if you want to do that, then don't consider dark social. It's not right for you. That's not the strategy. The strategy here is we're going to drive high intent buyers that are super likely to close that close at 10% instead of 0.1% when you do it which leads to super high efficiencies on the sales side and changes how you actually go to market and build and scale your company. And so if you think that you need a bunch of leads and you're allocating all the budget to get the leads, then just, then just don't focus on dark social. Maybe it's not the right thing to do for you right now. The thing that I present when companies do that is I go in and analyze their data and I show them out of all the leads that they're getting, how many, how much revenue they're closing, which like I mentioned before, when you're running low intent lead gen inside of paid social channels, so LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, um, content syndication, YouTube, other places like that, non-intent-based channels. When you're doing it in more social channels, the typical win rate is that I see is 0.1% from raw lead to win, which means that your SDRs and your sales team need to talk to 1,000 buyers to win one deal. And then I try and show them what it would be like if they wanted to scale that to 50 or 100 million ARR. 
and what it would look like at 50 million when they need whatever 75 SDRs to keep up with that garbage. And then I show them that their total addressable market isn't even big enough to get that many leads. And the model literally breaks, which is why a lot of companies that are in series C, D, or E, but typically C and D, enter with us because they've realized that what they're doing right now will never scale. That they won't get from 30 million to 100 million doing what they're doing right now. And it's been really interesting recently because uh, oftentimes the people that are coming to us are now the head of sales that realize that what's going on, they need to change their go-to-market. It's been very interesting to see a shift happening right now because the sales leaders know that the shit's broken. I was going to say, probably because for, yeah, they're getting fed shit MQLs from the marketing team. Solution. So we're getting, it used to be like almost highly weighted toward marketing. And now it's like probably 50-50 sales and marketing that we're talking to. And oftentimes the best relationships are we're when we're talking to both. So um, that's like, to get back on track to the question, like if you need a bunch of leads, then don't do this, but you should analyze your data and you should get a clear understanding about the performance of what's happening right now and whether or not that will scale with your business. Most people don't even do that analysis. All they do is say, we need more leads, let's go. Um, and so that analysis will point out to you what's going on. So if you can get over that and you see that, and now you wanna actually move into a dark social strategy what I've recommended for companies and what we've built at my company and what we've rolled out to more than 30 SaaS companies will continue to do so is you need to have multiple ways of looking at attribution. You need to have one layer that is actually using attribution software that you use right now. Maybe you weight that at 30%. You have another one where you ask the buyer what they actually, where they heard about you on your high intent conversion form from marketing. And you ask them, how did you hear about you? And maybe you weight that at 30%. Maybe when you're on the call, you ask the questions and whether uh, you do, I, I want to try and figure out a way to make it automated so it's not subjective. So if you wanted to use Gong, I haven't done this before. I'm not even sure that it would be technically feasible or want to. Maybe they'll do it. I don't know. But maybe you do that. And then there's some analysis about that component of it. And there's another piece of just doing general market research and qualitative market research to understand where people get information, where you buy stuff. Then you have multiple sources of information about how you actually decide on attribution to guide strategy. And I want to guide people back to the whole reason that attribution exists. Attribution exists to guide strategy decisions. It's somehow become a place where we need to go and use it to defend ROI and prove our budget to CFOs because technology vendors have trained us to think that way. That's not what it's meant to be for. And so what I've encouraged companies to do is measure marketing differently, score marketing on how much, how much revenue marketing drives against how much you spend on marketing and benchmark that against your industry your VC, your PE group, or whatever else you want to do. We're going to build those benchmarks so companies have that, so they have courage and, and the data necessary to actually change how they measure marketing. Measure marketing based on pure results. If the results are there, then after that, then you start looking at the attribution component. And the two that we're using mainly is the software base, which is going to tell you what captured the demand, super highly weighted toward lower funnel channels like Google's organic search, paid search, direct traffic, um, direct response channels like review sites, if you're doing direct response for paid social, all those things. And then you have a, how did you hear about us where the buyer tells you how they heard about you. We have all that information. Every time a submission comes, it pushes into Slack. So everyone at the company can see what is the attribution software saying? What is the buyer saying? What's their job title? What company are they from? Every other detail that we have about them. So everyone sees what's happening. It happens five or seven times a day for us. And then we can stack it up that data inside of a CRM and look at it at the raw conversion level, at the sales qualified opportunity level, at the revenue level. 
And when you look at it at the revenue level, it becomes very interesting. In our data, last time I checked, attribution software says about 80% of our revenue comes through organic search or direct traffic. And when you ask the buyer what they say, 0% say that. And about 80% come from social and podcast combined. And then the other 20% is from word of mouth or recommendations. And then when you see that data at scale over a six or nine month period of time, you're like, huh, the people that actually buy from us are saying these things. What software saying is different. Maybe we should think about how do we use this information? This is great information. How do we use this information to drive a better strategy? Well, everyone else thinks all their revenue is coming from SEO and paid search. Is spending three, our competitors spend $300,000 a month on paid search. What we have here is all of our revenue doesn't come from there, even though we're spending that much money on paid search. What if we took that three hundred? We started to invest it differently. We hired a subject matter expert. We did events. We built community and content. We started distributing that using paid ads and social channels where people are saying they discover us when they buy. And then you change your strategy overall. So um, that is something that we continue to evolve and work on. We rolled it out with companies. Um, as we learn uh, and gather new data, we'll continue to update our thinking on that. I like it. And like you said there, I'd, um, as we talked about earlier in the show, a lot of customers will say the, the source they found you was the end bottom of the funnel thing that they search, whether it's that was not, Google. No, yes, yeah. software will say that. Um, what the buyer will say is the, they'll tell you the most impactful channel. Mm. And I found sometimes, Chris, that even on the inquiry form, if you have a how, how did you hear about us? And even as the customer's initial answer, they'll give it. Until you dig deeper, I found, because I, I run quite a lot of the sales, even though I own the company, I, I get on quite a lot of sales calls, which I think you do too still. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you've got to scratch me first because they might say they, they did a search or they clicked an ad. Um, then you say, all oh, right, what led you to that? And then asking, kind of digging a little bit below the surface level, you'll get some useful intel. Um, and that might be, look, I've followed you on LinkedIn for a while or I've listened to your podcast for a while or whatever they've done. And then they decided to search for it and then they clicked the ad. So yeah, just guess yeah. going a bit deeper, which you kind of alluded to. Yeah, we don't see that level of discrepancy in our data with our stuff. Um, uh, some companies will use a drop-down menu in the How Did You Hear About Us forum, which will bias the answers, limit the uh, data that customers can tell you. If you use a drop-down menu, you should change that immediately because of what I said. They'll bias the answers. We use a free text field and we get great data. We get rich data. Hey, I was I was friends with this person. They did a live event with you. I started after the live event. I started listening to the podcast. I started following your CEO on LinkedIn, and now I'm here converting. We get all that information in a free text field, and then we automatically categorize that into buckets afterwards um, through automation. And that's what I would recommend. But we don't see anywhere near that level of discrepancy between what people say on the forum and what they say on a sales call. Yeah, fair enough. And I, I appreciate it. it might vary from companies to companies. But to wrap this up, mm-hmm. what are some of the areas where dark social can fall short? I.e., let's say you've built up a heck of a personal brand on LinkedIn and you're educating your audience, they're following you. Perhaps they know your company inside out and what you can do for them. And then perhaps they do a good direct search on Google for your brand, but you're nowhere to be found. You're nowhere in organic search. You've got no paid ads running. Um, mm-hmm. So you're effectively dead. And then they do search it, but your competitors, bidding on your own brand terms in Google ads and perhaps they click the ad thinking it's you and they even go through the demo request form. are there any kind of you need to bloody do this otherwise you're going to fall short of the last hurdle of all the demand you've built and all the kind of dark social that's been flowing are there any kind of massive mistakes that you've seen companies fall at the last last hurdle on or just general 
kind of you need to do this, otherwise you might kind of miss miss capturing the demand at the last minute. I want people to think about when they have engaged and been with a either a B2B company or a B2C company on social or otherwise for a long period of time. And then when they wanted to buy what they did, you go to Google, you search it. You don't even look at those. You go to the first organic link. The brand's always going to show up at the first organic link. You click and you go and you buy. And so these companies, you the people that think that you their competitors slide in and steal deals for 100K software by doing that, you're not doing marketing well enough. People people know whether or not they're buying from the company that they listen to over time. And so I'm not like, we spend no time on that. I'm not concerned. I, I'm guessing that somebody bids on Refine Labs brand. Um, and it really doesn't matter to me. Um, we've built so much affinity that if someone's, someone's not going to slide in there and steal deals. I think that the place where um, companies miss overall um, when they think about dark social is not, if they actually did that right, which is really hard to do, volume, consistency, actually putting out content that people want, doing it over a long period of time, engaging and building a community, having a message that's, that is connected to the business strategy and the things that you're trying to accomplish. If they did all that right, then the thing that most people miss after that is actually delivering on the experience, which comes, I call it product, but it's actually product and customer experience and buying experience combined. Everything post-marketing is where I think companies miss, where buyers would love to buy your stuff, but they can't get into a meeting with a sales rep because your process is broken. Or they yeah. can't see a demo or they can't see pricing because you want to hide it like it's 2011. Or yeah, I, I did a they, post about that earlier, actually. Yeah. The amount of B2B websites that hide their pricing or make it complex to see what their rates are or to book a demo. Or and you like set you've... up like if you, you set up a product led uh, a product led motion where it's not ready and people would just go in, click sign up, hit a dead end in the product, say, Hey, this isn't for me, and bail out. There are so many ways that come like that you companies can get a buyer to want to buy and then they fail to deliver on what they need to to get the buyer to actually buy. I think that's the the miss. It's not at the tactical level of like showing up in search in my view. It's actually delivering on the promise. Yeah, that, that's a good point on the final hurdle as well. Like you say, making sure your actual website is geared up to make it as easy as possible for prospects that land on it to know exactly what you do, how you can help them, and then guide them to whether that is book that demo, book that consult call, rather than trying to ram a white paper down their neck or whatever you think is going to work, making it really easy for them to actually speak to sales and deliver that value prop that they care about, um, which should be led against your company's, um, sorry, against your target customer's kind of problems or what they want to improve in their business. So with that said, Chris, it's been a, a very enjoyable episode, sir. Thanks for guiding, up, guiding us through the dark social ins and outs. And with that, please do tell us more about how everyone tuning in can learn more about yourself, connect with you a bit more about your business and, and the podcast. Awesome. Yeah. Feel free to uh, to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, my That's uh, Chris Walker on LinkedIn. And then uh, would definitely encourage you to check out the State of Demand Gen podcast available on Apple and Spotify and other platforms. Uh, we have over 50,000 listeners now across the world, which is amazing. And we cover all topics. For, it's called State of Demand Gen, but we've started to expand. We're talking about career, go to overall go-to-market strategy, outbound. Uh, there's, a lot, uh, there's a lot of information in there that people can get value from. And so we encourage you to check it out if you're interested.
Nice one, dude. And that is my go-to podcast when I'm cruising in the car, usually trying to get our little one to sleep for his uh, nap time to, to pick up some marketing tips. So definitely check out the State of Demand podcast. And congrats on hitting episode live 100, which I think you're going to do tonight, Chris. So big yeah. milestone. Nice work. I pre- really appreciate that. And thanks for having me on the show, Sam. Yeah, no worries, dude. Thanks again. And as always, if you did enjoy the show, a quick rating on your podcast channel or subscribe on YouTube is much appreciated. We share actual marketing tips to grow your business's revenue each and every week. And with that, we should catch you on the next one. All the episode notes will be on businessgrowth.marketing. Cheers.